Awesome, awesome. Can we give Jesus a big hand clap tonight? Come on. Come on, you can do better than that. Come on, give God some glory tonight. Father, we glorify you. We love you tonight. I love that. Who did the whistle? Man, I have always wanted to know how to do that. I have tried for years and years to, how did you do your finger in there and all that stuff? Man, I mean, like that is just, that is awesome. I can't do it. I just cannot do it. Maybe you can teach me later how to do it. So funny story, true story. Um, you know, Jesse and I were texting back and forth. I didn't know he wasn't going to be here. Uh, and so I said, hey, typically what I do is I say, hey, what do you want me to preach? Do you have something? He's like, just do, Pastor, just do whatever you want to do. I said, well, I got these two messages that I've been rolling around with. And I uh, told him what they were. And he goes, man, just do that one. And I said, well, I can do both. Joking. Like, just trying to be funny. And he goes, yeah, why don't you preach one on Saturday night and then the two on Saturday, Sunday, Sunday morning. And I'm like, dang, on, okay, all right, no worries. So, to be honest, I, I am going to do something a little bit different tonight than I am tomorrow. Uh, well, very different. Tomorrow, if, uh, I don't know how many of us can come back tomorrow, but it would be a great service to bring people that are far away from God. Because uh, I'm going to preach on what does the Bible say about heaven and hell. And if you bring them, I will scare the hell right out of them. I promise you. All right? And so you bring your family, your dad, your mom, your enemies. Maybe pick up some kids, throw them in the trunk on the way to church tomorrow morning. And we're going to have a great time. Can we just lift our hands to heaven? Father, we're so grateful to be in your presence tonight. We love you so much. God, we, we just need a fresh touch from you. All the songs that we sang tonight, Lord, are not about you, but to you. Father, they're uh, songs of worship, songs of praise. Because tonight, we just want to get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit have his way. In our lives, in our families, in our midst, in our hearts. God, would you just do something different tonight? We don't want to just another weekend of church, another check off the box kind of thing. Not because I'm here, but because we welcome you here. <clears throat> we need you more than ever. We, we need your presence more than ever. We need your love more than ever. Our country needs your grace. Our country needs your power. Our country needs your strength. Father, would you do something in your church? Would you do something in our lives that would cause a ripple effect down through the generations <clears throat> in our own families, spiritual and biological, God? Would you do something significant? So, Father, we open our hearts, we open our minds, and we just want to hear your voice tonight. <clears throat> That's my prayer, God, is that my voice would simply carry your voice. God, you would do something in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Turn to three people before you sit down and just say, you smell really good. Thanks for taking a shower. <clears throat> Thanks, worship team. You guys did a great, great job. Hey, I love your pastors, uh, Pastor Jesse, his wife, his family, great people. Get to talk to him often. Love what you guys are doing here in Iowa. 
Um, just heard recently you had uh, Ron DeSantis come and really pushing forth some, some good agendas uh, around the country. We are one of those freedom-fighting churches along with you. We're right by, by your side in a, in a purple state, North Carolina. Understand that we're not, we're not talking about political issues anymore. Everything that we're dealing with right now are moral issues. They're biblical issues. And it's time for us as the church to really pave the way in that. That's where this message comes from. If I can just get right down to business. Now, I'm a teacher. I'm not a preacher. So you will, you will really help me if you get out your phone, something to write on or whatever. Take some notes. Write some things down. I spend a lot of time on this message. A lot of time. So just take some notes. Write on your neighbor. Whatever you need to do to remember some stuff. But I believe that this is a very timely word. Uh, the title of it is Now More Than Ever. Because I believe that now more than ever, we need the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 2. You can follow along on the screen. They'll have some notes behind me. Cheat off a Christian, whatever you need to do. Acts chapter 2, verse 16. Very familiar passage where Peter is beginning what I think is the, what I believe is the first Holy Spirit-filled message in the New Testament. Jesus has spent 40 days with his disciples, and then he left and told them to wait in Jerusalem. And then something very significant happens. We know that the Holy Spirit comes and fills 120 of the disciples that were there. And so Peter stands up, in front of thousands that have gathered for the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost, it was 50 days after Passover. Um, we call it Easter, but 50 days after Easter is what's called Pentecost. Pen Penta means 50, so 50. So Jesus was 40 days with the disciples, probably teaching them about how to have church, what to do with church, how to have small groups, what to do with community. And then he said, wait. And then the Holy Spirit falls, which we'll talk about in a second. And then Peter stands up, and here's what he says. He says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes a prophecy that was some 600 years, 800 years prior to this moment where Joel was prophesying about a call of God over the planet. He said, this was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Point at your neighbor, say, that's you, that's you and me. Point at yourself, that's me as well. So all of us have the potential to have the Spirit poured out on them. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. One of the last things that Jesus told his disciples was to wait. Wait until you get this promise. He told them about the promise the entire time he was ministering. For three and a half years... He would tell them, hey, listen, i got to go away, and, but you're going to have somebody better that just isn't going to overshadow you because they understood the Holy Spirit, but they had never experienced an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They never had him live on the inside. Jesus was kind of the prototype. You remember when John the Baptist baptized him? And John the Baptist was told by God, whom you see the Spirit descend and remain upon, that's the Messiah. And so Jesus became our prototype, the one that received the Holy Spirit in the fullness, which now you and I can receive. That's why Jesus told the disciples, it's better that I go away. It's better that I go away. Now, they didn't understand. They got mad at him. You remember when, when Jesus called Peter the devil? You know, imagine doing, imagine if Jesse, not me, Jesse came to you and said, you're the devil. You probably wouldn't come to church here anymore. 
you probably go down to the Lutheran church down there because they don't even talk about the devil down there, okay? All right, so you could go there even if you were the devil. So anyway, so, so he told the disciples, and we know the story. We know that 500, everybody say 500, 500 saw Jesus get raised up. So he spent 40 days with them. 500 watched him ascend into heaven. And then they went to this place called the upper room. And they waited. You can imagine what it was like. There's 500 of them. It was a prayer meeting. They were fired up day one. They were fired up. Fired up. Day two, maybe 10 get text messages from their wives. Hey, you need to get home. The kids are driving me up the wall. I don't care what Jesus said. You need to come home. So 10 leave. Day three, maybe about 50 get called back into work because they have to get back to work. Day four, maybe 100 leave because, I mean, come on, it's four days, Jesus. You said to wait. How long are we really going to have to wait for this promise that you said? I mean, it's been four stinking days. Now, don't laugh too hard because we all get really impatient with God. We get mad if he doesn't show up. I tithed yesterday, God. Where's my lottery winnings? Come on. Don't look at me like that. I, you know, I prayed, where's the miracle? Day five, another hundred probably left. Day six, now we got, we've got, you know, kind of a, a core group of people. Day seven, they're just, they don't, they don't know. They don't know that it's going to happen in ten days. We've got the, the answer right in front of us, the Bible. They don't know. They're just waiting. Ten days go by. Finally, we know the Holy Spirit falls. But only 120 out of the 500, so 380 of them left. That's a good word for us not to leave. How long do you need to wait? Until. Until, until. So I believe now more than ever we need the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But now more than ever we need the power and the presence in our family. Now more than ever we need the power and the presence of God in the marketplace, in our schools, in the government. That's why Jesus says, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. In all the earth. So how many of y'all could use a little more spiritual power? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, about half of you. Okay. I, I don't know about you, but I believe the power of God distinguishes Christianity. Like an infilling of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that people who don't have the Holy Spirit are not going to heaven. I'm talking about people who are dealing with the forces of the enemy effectively operate with the power and the presence of God living on the inside of them. Okay, so follow me here because I want to tell you tonight how to get more of that power. How to tap into it. Because there's an interesting story about somebody in the Bible who was able to tap into that. And so I want to learn from them. Okay, so Jesus did 37 documented miracles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's 37 documented miracles you know he walked on water um he 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 raised a few people from the dead uh, one time he spit in somebody's eye and they could see we're gonna do that a little bit later so hang around that's gonna be like 9 p.m spit in the eye hour 28 of the miracles were people miracles they were involving people of those 28 27 of them were as a result of them coming to God, coming to Jesus, and then him touching them. So they would come to 
him and they would go, hey, I need something. And then he would either go to their house, pray for them, or right in that moment, touch them, do something. And then they would go away. Many of them were go-away miracles. They would leave and then they would get healed. So it wasn't immediate. Matter of fact, most of them were not immediate. Most of them were, he had, they had to go do something. Wash in the pool of Siloam. Go and do this. Go and t- show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were healed. But there was one that was a little bit different. Now we know Jesus did so many different, more than 37 miracles because John said in, in John chapter 21, he said, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. Amen, that was the end of the book. I mean, that's pretty powerful to think of all the miracles that Jesus did. But there was one, one where this person came and pulled from Jesus. You, probably, you know the story, the woman with the issue of blood. Now, this one account or one encounter shows up three different times. In Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 5, and Luke chapter 8. I'm going to look at Luke chapter 8, but we're going to pull from all of those because obviously she knew something. There was something that she had, something that she knew something that she discovered in order to go to Jesus and pull something from him. I want to know what she knew. And it it tells us right in the Bible right here. It's just pretty awesome. So let's get a little bit of context of what's happening. Jesus, before we get to the story, let's talk about what's happening with Jesus. So he takes his disciples on a short-term missions trip. And he's on his way over to this place called Gadarene. All right? And so on his way, they, they have a storm Jesus calms the storm. Another time where they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe who's in the boat with us. They get over to the other side and they meet this demoniac. You know the story. This gathering demoniac. Jesus has a conversation with them. He runs out of the tombs. Nobody's been able to deal with them. Nobody's been able to cast the devil out of them. Jesus says, who are you? What's your name? And what, remember what he says? Legion. In other words, his pronouns were they and them. Okay, so because it was a lot of demons in them, so pronouns they and them. So if you ever meet anybody, and they say my pronouns are they or them, immediately cast the devil out of them. Just even if it's at work, just say come out in Jesus' name. You might lose your job, but hey, they'll get delivered. I'm joking, kind of a little bit. So he cast the devil out of this scattering demoniac. That's pretty funny. He cast the devil out of this scattering demoniac. He gets completely free. Jesus says, hey, you need to go tell everybody, which is the only time that Jesus ever said that. Most of the time he said, don't tell anybody. But he told him, go tell everybody what what God did for you. He gets back in the boat. He goes to the other side. And now we catch up with him. Luke chapter 8, verse 41. Y'all ready? You sure? Okay. All right. And behold, there came a man. So Jesus is walking. He's got his whole posse. He's walking down the street. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. Everybody say Jairus. And he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had only an only daughter about 12 years of age. How old was she? 12. That's an important number. She was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. They pressed on him. Now... Verse 43, a woman having a flow of blood for how many years? Twelve. Isn't that interesting? 
Daughter dying, 12 years old. Woman, flow of blood, 12 years old. Who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. Came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes are pressing on you and thronging you. And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, this is the punchline, somebody touched me for I perceive power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. And she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Okay, so the punchline is when Jesus says, for I perceive power going out from me. Now, this is the only time in Scripture where somebody came to Jesus, touched him, and he didn't touch them. They touched him, and power came out. So she knew something. She had something. She did something. Now, let's first of all talk about this woman. And I, and I kind of highlighted the fact that you've got a, a girl who's 12 years old, and then we have a woman who's been dealing with a problem for 12 years. Never skip over a number in the Bible because numbers are very important. So what does the number 12 mean? The number 12 is the number of God's power or his authority. So whenever you see 12, that is the significance of this particular moment. So what we're seeing here is an example of the power of God. So there were 12 spies that went into the promised land that's showing the authority of God taking what is due them. There were 12 tribes of Israel. Um, there were 12 minor prophets. There were 12 disciples. When Paul was in prison, what time was it that he started praising and the prison doors open? Midnight, 12 a.m. 12 baskets were left over in the feeding of the 5,000. There's 12 fruit that comes from the tree that's in the book of Revelation. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. This woman. So we've got one girl who's lived her life and is dying that's 12. And then we've got one girl who has been dying for 12 years. Jesus told his parents, at 12 years old, I must be about my father's business. 12 is significance. Very significant. So what was it that this woman did to draw from Jesus? What was it? What was in that touch? Because if we want more spiritual power, we got to know what she had. What did she do? Right? What, what, what did she do? What was in her? Okay, so follow me. The first thing, write this down if you're taking notes, is that she was desperate. She was desperate. Mark chapter 5, verse 26, it says... And, and she had suffered many things from many physicians, and she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Now, I'm not talking about desperate like you need a date desperate. That's a whole, that's, I'm not talking about swipe right, swipe left, that kind of desperate. Or, you know, you texted her the day after your date ten times because you thought it was a good date. Big mistake, guys, if you're single. Let her wait three days. Let her anticipate. Let that date marinate for a little bit. <clears throat> well, I'm just telling you, no, not from, I've been married for 31 years, but I'm just, from what I'm hearing, okay? Now, I'm talking about desperate like it's do or die. There's a desperate, desperation that was needed. She, she didn't have any other options. 
I've, I've been fortunate enough. How many of y'all ever been on a missions trip? Raise your hand if you've ever been on a missions trip. Been overseas. Gosh, many of you. That's good. I think every Christian should go on a missions trip. It, it lets you see kind of the other side. Kind of, we get, we get spoiled in America, honestly. When you go outside of America and you see third world countries like Haiti and, and Africa and different places like that, you realize that what we have in America is pretty awesome. I mean, what we get to do in America, the freedoms that we have is one thing, but really what ends up happening when you go overseas, and I find this happen all the time, all the time. I, we'll have a group of people because we, have, we send people out probably once every two or three months to different parts of the world, and they come back and they're very frustrated because they saw all these miracles in these foreign countries, but when they come here and they come back home and they don't see those miracles. And they're frustrated, like, why, God, are you not doing what you did over there? And then they all want to go over there and live for the rest of their life. They get very frustrated with Americans. And the reason is, if you've ever been over there, is they don't have options. We have options. You, you, you get a headache, what do you do? You take an aspirin. You take a Tylenol. You take an Advil. If that doesn't work, then you go to the urgent care. If you don't like that urgent care, there's six more that you can go to. If you don't like that, then you can go to the emergency room. If you don't like that, you can go see your doctor. If you don't like that doctor, you can go to six more and get six different ideas on why you had a headache. You have lots of options. You can go to a chiropractor. You can go to a holistic doctor. You can go to this doctor over here. Well, in those, in those parts of the world, they don't have like six different doctors. They don't have, they can't just pop a pill they are desperate. This woman didn't have any other options. Think about it for a second. She had been bleeding for 4,380 days, 12 years. Hemorrhaging, bleeding. Nothing could fix her. She was weak. 12 years of disappointment. 12 years, man. Like 12 years of problem. Not to mention, she wasn't even allowed to go out in public. And when she went out in public, she would have to yell, unclean, unclean. Let me give you another word for unclean. Untouchable, unsociable, unvalued. That's what it meant. We don't see anything about her husband, probably because her husband, after the first year, left her. We don't see anything about any kids because she probably couldn't have any kids because she was hemorrhaging all the time. She was probably very young. She had nothing. In other words, she had no options. She was desperate. Very desperate. She wasn't even allowed to go to church. Imagine, imagine somebody walking up and go, I'm sorry, you can't come in. That would be horrible. And here she was in a moment where she probably had heard about Jesus and said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get what I need from God. Psalms 34 says, when I was desperate, I called out and God got me out of a tight spot. Not whiny, but desperate. Not complaining, but desperate. Not a victim, blaming everyone and everything, but desperate. Desper desperation requires honesty. It requires vulnerability, meekness. True desperation always has a direction, and true desperation always has a target. So, so are you desperate for what you, what you want from God? Like, are you really desperate? Or do you still have some options that you can kind of...
kind of figure out. Because if you still got options that you're figuring out, probably not going to get what this woman got from Jesus. Just being honest. Second thing you got to learn about this woman is she was humble. The Bible says she came from behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. Now, priests and rabbis, they wore, all wore a robe, all wore a robe. And on the four corners of the robe were these tassels, and they were called zizots. Now, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees because their zizots or their tassels were bigger than everybody. It'd be like you coming into church, you got a big old Bible going, hey, look how spiritual I am. You know, because my Bible's bigger than yours. So Jesus rebuked them because their Bible, they carried this Bible around with them that was bigger than everybody else's. But every priest had him, every rabbi had him, including Jesus. Now, remember the picture, okay? Remember the picture because he's walking through the streets, which I love about Jesus. That means he's accessible, he's available, he's always there, he's not hiding in some back room. You know, like you have to got to fill out a form in order to see Jesus. No, Jesus was everywhere all the time. And so, so he's walking and all these people are around him, pressing on him. Let me touch Jesus. Let me get to Jesus. I, I, I need a miracle. I need this. Remember, he's, he's walking, following this ruler of a synagogue. He's like the CFO of the synagogue to his house. And all these people are around him. How in the world is this ceremonially unclean woman to get to him. The only way that she could touch the hem of his garment is on her knees. So he had, she had to humble herself and reach in to grab. She, in order to touch that tassel, in order to touch the hem of that garment, because she didn't touch him on the shoulder because she wasn't even supposed to be out there. If she got caught, she could be killed. See, humility is a freedom from vanity. It's, it's a spiritual modesty. It's, it's, it's a focus on others. It's a focus on God. Pride, the opposite of humility, is a dependence on self. Humility is a dependence on God. It's understanding that God's given me everything, and, and I need to give God the praise for it. Like everything. He's given me my family. He's given me my kids. He's given me my job. He's given me the finances that I have, the house that I live in, the bike that I, that I ride, the cars that I have, the community, the church that I'm a part of, that, God, you're so good, and I'm, I am, I, there's no way that I deserve any of this. Matter of fact, I deserve hell, but you sent Jesus to save me from hell, like to deliver me from my sins. I, I'm so grateful for that. Now, there's two ways that you can get humble. Number one, you can choose it. Or number two, life can humble you. Now, sadly, I've been, I'm, I'm 54 years old. I've seen life humble a lot of people. A lot of people. I'm sure you have too. You've probably watched them come and go in the church. You watched them come in, and they got all these aspirations until something doesn't meet their requirements or they don't get what they need from God because honestly they feel like they deserve it. They're entitled, which is a form of pride. Life humbles them. One of my favorite stories because it was almost like, it, it felt like my story 
is in Luke chapter 15 where the son comes to his dad and says, hey, I want all my money. Like, give me my inheritance right now. The story of the prodigal son. In other words, dad, I want you to die so I can get what's mine. And you know the story. He goes and lives prodigal life, wastes all his money, goes and buys the cars and houses and, and parties and everything. And then he spends it all. It's all gone. Everything is gone. And he, and he finds himself working as a Jew for a pig farmer. Not, not even that. He's not just a pig farmer, but he's eating the food that the pigs eat in the pigsty. And there's just a few words right in the middle of the story that it says, and he came to himself. See, when life humbles you, you have those moments where you come to yourself. And he did. And he started having a conversation with himself. Man, I bet you my dad's servants have it better than me. I wonder if he'll take me back. I wonder if he still loves me. I had that moment, you know, when I was 20, 21 years old. I walked up some stairs, I turned the corner, and what was looking back at me was my dad, who had never really adopted the humble life. He was an alcoholic, and, and I was following right in his footsteps, and I came to myself. In other words, life humbled me very quickly, and I found God, I found Jesus, and I realized that, man, and there's so much more to life than just making a bunch of money, having a bunch of houses, and, and living this crazy life. There's so much more than success. You can actually be significant and help people reach their full potential in God. See, when you're prideful, you never say you're sorry. When you're prideful, you don't listen to anybody. But when you're humble, you can reach down and grab the tassel and get what, what God can give to you to help you. 1 Peter 5 says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Cast your care upon him, for he cares for you. James 4 verse 6 says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You've got to understand that when we are in pride, God, God rejects us. One translation says that, God opposes the proud. One translation says that God stands in opposition to the proud. He sets in battle against the proud. You are on the other side of God's spear when you are in pride. That's why they call June Pride Month. It really wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with sexuality. It had to do with the resistance to God. I'm going to resist God. I'm going to oppose God. I know they, they claimed it as, you know, LGBTQ and, and, you know, sexuality and transgender, but that was just, just the top. Really, the underbelly of it was I'm opposing God. God did not create me. God did not form me. God is not the author of me. I get to pick what I want, who I am, do what I want. That's in opposition to God. That is not humility. So you, you will be humbled either in this lifetime or before God. Because every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen? So whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Where does it, how, do you, how do you humble yourself? It starts very easy with the word of God. Just submit to the word of God. Look, you may not like people. Okay. 
submit to the word of God. Maybe you have a hard time dealing with people. You know, don't tell me what to do. I don't want to hear from you. Okay, well, just submit to the word of God. Do what the word says, and guess what will happen? You'll fall in love with people because God loves people. Okay, third thing. Y'all, y'all, is this okay? Y'all learning something? Okay, all right, all right. Third thing. I'm almost done. Okay, almost done. She had great faith. Somebody said faith over here. Let's talk about faith for a minute. And Jesus said, we reread this earlier, but let's kind of dig into this a little bit. Who touched me? Okay, Jesus is walking. Let's get the picture again. Jesus is walking. All these people are around him. All these people are touching him. Everybody's touching him, touching him, touching him, touching him. And then he stops. Who touched me? And Peter says, come on, Jesus. Let me give you the Maxwell translation. Come on, Jesus. Everybody's touching you, man. We, I'm hungry. I want to go eat some food. The disciples are tired. We cast out a demoniac. You know, we, got, we just got back from a missions trip. We haven't had any sleep for a long time. Chick-fil-A's closing. It's almost Sunday. We got, we got to get some food. Like, let's go. Everybody's touching you, Jesus. Please heal this woman, this, this lady, this, this guy's daughter, so we can finish for the night. Look, you can start back tomorrow. This is Maxwell translation. Master, the multitude's throng impress you, and, and you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, no, 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 somebody touched me. Because I felt something leave me. I felt power come out of me. Now, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people, this is important, the reason she had touched him And how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. King James Version says, your your faith has made you whole. Okay. Faith draws power from Jesus. Faith is our currency to work with heaven. God does not move according to your need. He moves according to your faith. If he moved according to need, he'd be moving in the most needy places in the world. No, he moves according to faith. Faith faith is something you can't see, but it is what you hold on with. Let me say that again. Faith is something you can't see, but it's something you use to hold on to. Faith is not always getting what you want, but provides the way for God to give you what you need. So you may not get what you want. Matter of fact, be real careful when your faith is in an outcome. Put your faith in God who can change the outcome. Okay? Because the outcome that you want may, ne- may not be the outcome that God knows you need. So if you put your faith in something happening, you're probably going to get disappointed if you haven't already been disappointed. Well, I want this, and you didn't get it. Well, God doesn't love me. No, 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 no. He has something that he's working for you that's way better than what you need, what you think you need. That's why it says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. Okay, so, so, Matthew 5, Mark 5, 29. Immediately when she touched him, the flow of blood healed immediately. Catch this. Her private faith got her healed. Her public faith made her whole. Watch this, watch this. When she touched him, 
immediately the flow of blood was healed. She even said it. When I touched you, immediately it stopped. And then Jesus said, who touched me? She had a decision right there. Just like all of us. Does she expose herself? Or does she not? Does she say, it was me? Or does she touch Jesus, get her healing, and then walk away? Because that happens a lot. Even in church. We get what we need from Jesus. And then we leave. Our private faith gets us healed. But our public faith, it's what's necessary for wholeness. Because her being healed from the blood thing was a very small fraction of what she really needed healing from. So when she stood up and go, hey, it was me. I'm the one who touched you. Then Jesus called her daughter. Your faith has made you whole. In other words, her private faith got her healed. Her public faith made her whole. Her private faith dealt with the bleeding. Her public faith, her, her public faith dealt with the emotional pain, the social pain, and all of the baggage that went, around, went, 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 went with the 12 years of bleeding. The family stuff. Are you seeing the difference here? See, it's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to follow Jesus. There are two very different things. Because even the demons believe. But they don't follow him. So a lot of people come to church. I believe in God. But they're really not following Jesus. Really not following. In other words, their private faith is there. But their public faith is not on display. Which is what's necessary. If I could have the worship team come on out. He gave her value again. He gave her self-worth again. He gave her a reason to live again. He gave her purpose again. That's what wholeness and peace is. It's, it, it, it's not just getting healed from the disease that's necessary. So many times we come to God and we're just like, I just need this healing. No, no, there's so much more that he wants to do in you. And it's our public faith that happens, that that, that happens with. Anxiety, what, what anxiety has stolen, he gave it back. What insomnia stole from you, he'll give it back. What divorce stole from you. Look, it's not just about getting married again. We think that that's the, that's the healing. Well, if I just find another woman, if I just find another man. Now, what, what if Jesus wants to do something in you? So that when you get married again, that you're whole. And they're not just marrying a half a person. Her private faith got her healed, her public faith. Last thing I want to say, and then we'll close, is that she had courage. Courage. It takes a lot of courage to push through all the issues and all of the challenges that she went through. The 12, I mean, think about 12 years. How many times do you think, I, I mean, I can't prove this, just be, just, how many times do you think she heard about Jesus coming to town? But she said, I can't go out. I can't, I can't, I can't risk being stoned, being killed, 
But then that one time she said, you know, I'm going I'm to risk everything. I think this is, in my opinion, probably one of the most important things that this woman did. That we, you and I, have to do in our journey with God. In our journey with Jesus is risk. You know? I think it happens in our life a lot. Where we come to this place where in order to go to the next level with God, you're going to have to risk something. You have to have courage. You have to courage. Maybe it's to disappoint a family member because you're not going to be able to live the way that you did before. You're creating a new normal, and they don't like it, and they put a lot of pressure on you, but you're not the same person, man. You know, we used to drink together, and you were right there with me, and we used to get high together, and, and we used to hang out, and then you stopped doing all that stuff. You're a different person. Well, yeah, it costs you something. See, that's what risk does. Risk costs you something. You have to pay a price. And can I just tell you something? The price of being a Christian in our world right now has gone up. It's gone up. Because you could lose your job for not signing your pronouns at the bottom of the page. You could lose your job. You could get, you could get, listen, we had, we had a 12-year-old girl at one of our, we did these faith and freedom nights where we talk about things that are happening in the world. And this 12-year-old girl comes up and asks a question. She goes, how can I stand against all that's going on in my school, 12 years old, when all of my friends are identifying as gay and, and lesbian and transgender and, and I don't know if I can do it anymore. 12 years old. 12. And some of us in this room are 45. We've had a lot of life under here. We're afraid to even tell people that we're Christians. Just being honest. She risked a lot. She had a lot of courage. Do you have a lot of courage? Are you willing to risk what's necessary to go to the next level? Because if you are, man, you, you've touched the hem of his garment. And God's about ready to make you whole. We stand with me tonight. I just want you to close your eyes for a second, bow your head. Now, let's do it different. I want you to open your eyes, and I want everybody looking around. Because we do the whole closed eyes thing all the time. But let's, let's do open, honest, in front of everybody. I mean, it's Saturday now. Y'all are the crazy Christians anyway. Y'all don't even know what day it is. You thought it was Sunday, so you showed up today. But everybody up, eyes open, everybody looking around. Are you willing to risk what's necessary to go to the next level? For some of you, if we're honest, we're great believers, but we're lousy followers. And some of us need to take that step of faith and go, it was me, Jesus. I'm the one who touched the hem of your garment. I'm the one. And I'm going to start standing out in my faith. I'm going to really make a de declaration in my life of who Jesus is to my family, to my friends, in my school, on my job. You're ready to kind of stand out like this woman did in your faith. 
Maybe it means making a declaration for the first time that Jesus is Lord of your life. Not just your Savior. Sure, you can escape hell. But I'm talking about Him being the Lord of your life. Like taking over, leading us, submitted to Him. Does that mean we're not going to make mistakes? That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about just saying, God, I'm full. I'm fully in. Like I'm in. I'm on the team. I'm ready to block for you. I'm ready to. I'm ready to take the steps necessary. Because listen, listen. Some of you, God's been asking you to do some stuff, and you really haven't fully committed to Him yet. But tonight's the night. Why? Why can't it be tonight? Why can't it be? To stand now. That's you. Every head up, every eye open. And you say, you know what? I've kind of not been a great follower. I believe in God, but I don't necessarily believe that Jesus is the Lord of my life. I'm ready to make that confession. Would you just raise your hand? I'm going to pray for you. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to come up here in just a second because I want to pray for you specifically. But the second group of people I want to pray for are those that you've come out of the house, you've risked it, and you need a touch from God. You need a miracle in your life. It could be a physical miracle. It could be an emotional miracle. It could be a financial miracle. It could be a, a relational miracle. I want to pray for you too. We're just gonna have just gonna have a time. We got about ten minutes left. I know Pastor Jesse usually goes way over. I'm gonna get you out of here on time. I'm just picking on. I'm just picking. I'm just picking. Don't tell him I said that. Hope you're not watching, Jesse. <laughs> but I want to pray for you that God's gonna not only heal you tonight, but make you whole because you're stepping out in faith. So when you come. Come expecting God to do something. Not a feeling, because faith doesn't necessarily yield a feeling, but faith will always yield a result. How long do I have to believe? Until? What does that mean? I don't know. I can't answer that question. Only God knows the answer. So put your trust in Him. Not in me, not in the outcome. But put your trust in God. Well, what if that means until I go to heaven? Okay. Then you got great faith. Just don't let go. I want to pray for you. How many of y'all need a miracle? Raise your hand if you need a miracle. I want to pray for you. Third, third group of people is you need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. You just need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. I want to pray for you too. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to MyEternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at MyEternityChurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.